The following episode of Not Another Whiskey podcast was filmed and recorded in front of a live studio audience. No whiskey drinkers were harmed in the making of this episode. All right, hey. you guys ready? Let's do it. You guys ready? Yeah, I'm ready, man. All right. All right, uh, folks, and welcome to a special episode of Not Another Whiskey podcast this this week. We're doing this in front of a live audience. Yes! That was really good. That was good. That like, was we wouldn't even queue them up for that. I we didn't know, even tell them that we were going to do that, guys. Um, so as always, I'm your co-host, Mitch Beshard, and I'm joined by the one they call the master of all, the hostess with the mostess, the man who's got the whiskey diamond banter. Everyone give it up for Daz Haldane. Oh. <laughs> that wasn't as good as the first one. No. <laughs> Mate, obviously the podcast is more popular than you. I know, I know, I know. And uh, well, look, it's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be in the single malt whiskey society or the scotch malt whiskey society here in edinburgh and it's my job to introduce the second most handsome person on the panel myself no no it's me no 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 no, 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 that's me that's me and uh i'm daz i'm the co-host here at not another whiskey podcast and actually when we were thinking about doing a live we thought where should we do it there was a few venues that sprung to mind, but actually the society's brilliant because it's got the right space, it's got the right rooms, and it's a great place also for us to have a few solid sherries afterwards as well, which is nice. But it's not easy to get hold of Mark Thompson as you know, one of the whiskey celebrities, one of the one of the big brand ambassadors. You know, there's always shiny lights and cameras following him wherever he is, and you know, it's not easy because you know, as a second best looking person on the panel, you know, Mitch being number one, of course. Mark, you know, how does it feel to be? <laughs> You know, outshone once every now and then, you know? How is it? It's just every day I get up, I have a picture of you two at my bedside. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> much to my girlfriend's annoyance. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for anyone listening and for you guys who don't know who Mark Thompson is, I met Mark about 15 years ago in London, I think it was. Um, and he was working for Difford's Guide, I think, mm-hmm. at the time. And he was doing uh, dramatic whiskey, which was uh, whiskey events, which was all about getting new consumers into whiskey for the first time. And, and actually, it was a bit, you were ahead of your time. You know, I'm going to pay you a compliment here, if that's all right. And it, it was brilliant. I went to a few of those events and sponsored them as well with brands like Highland Park and things back then. And since then, Mark's gone on and, and working on Glenfiddich, become their ambassador and become massively associated with the great whiskies that Glenfiddich makes. So, Mark, it's a pleasure to have you here, sir. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, yeah. sir best thing you've ever said about me. That is actually. <laughs> you're a hype man. In 15 years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So bring him more often. Yeah, absolutely. It's a real honour to be here. And when the guys had said, I've listened to quite a few of their podcasts, not all of them, I will mm-hmm. admit. Some of them are rubbish. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> this is, this is why we're going to edit this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's also why I paused there. Make a job easy for you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> But this, this was a really interesting one to try and get back together. And as we emerge out of the world that we've been in for the last few years that we've all had different experiences of, I think this is a great thing. It kept me laughing, actually, maybe because I know you two so well anyway. But uh, to do something live, I think this is a sort of hybrid of how the, the world will evolve moving forward, certainly for ambassadors, uh, where most of our work will be in person, but I think there'll always be an element which is online or something that can be recorded, unfortunately, for review mm. later. 
by my bosses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it is an honor to be here. I'm really no, looking great. forward to this evening. Dude, it's great to have you here, man. Um, I think before we get into these amazing drams that, that you've had here, um, just to, to let everyone know, it's, it's kind of bad. I feel bad for everyone listening to this podcast because we are going to have some tasty Glenfiddichs. Uh, do you guys enjoy the highballs to start off with? Yeah. yeah. All good? It's very good. Quiet it's better with orange, eh? We were yeah, talking yeah. about this earlier because you know what it's like with highballs. Sometimes they put too much soda in. Often they go with lemon, and I usually make mine with lemon, but that is banging with orange. Is that a Glenfiddich-specific thing? Or no, is it... it's not, but I'm glad they did it. I, one of the things with Glenfiddich, I always get, not always, but I'm tested quite often blind tasting a, a, a dram, which I'm sure everybody in the room has had to try and identify a dram at one time in the past blind. And one of the things with Glenfiddich, which is underlying through all the characters, this little orange peel note. So mm. actually, lemon is a little bit too fierce for it. And when I saw orange going this evening, I had nothing to do with it. I do think it works brilliantly well with it. And 35 mils in soda anyway is better than 25, which typically gets lost and washed out. And mm. We're all alcoholics here, so we can handle 35 <laughs> And I think that the Lark Fire Sparkling worked quite nicely in that as well. Shameless um, plug. Who'd you get, who'd you get paid Lark from? Fire guys. <laughs> <laughs> so Sorry, I have to call it out. Let's, uh, well, let's talk about what we've been up to the last couple of weeks. Mark, you and I were hanging out at Spirit of Speyside, which was mm. amazing. I know there's a few people in the room that were up here, up there as well. Uh, what did you get up to up there, man? Quite a lot, actually. It was, the, it was the second one back. They'd started again in November. And the November one was really busy and really um, intense because no one had had anything to be celebrating until that point. And this one came around with a little bit of a softer approach but it seemed to be the one that everybody wanted to be involved in. So actually I was there for five days and had typically two to three different events every day. Mm. Um, it was just brilliant to be back with people and yeah. uh, you know, it didn't matter how tired you were. I spoke to a few people during it, quite seasoned individuals from the whiskey industry who I saw towards the end of the week saying, we just don't learn, do we? It's like, what do you mean? Well, I knew how hard this week was going to be, but still I'd look at my watch at four o'clock in the morning going, I'm still drinking. Uh, just one more. <laughs> it's I famous last that. words. I didn't yeah. do that. I got up and ran a few days, so I was sensible this time. But yeah, some great events that we were both at and, and certainly some guests in the room that attended them as well. I was impressed with your uh, little auction as well that you did. That was good. What, what was the money raised for that? We, there was a charity that's local to Murray called the Murray School Bank, which raised money for children with um, underprivileged children. Those that can't really afford school shoes or textbooks or new coats. And it's actually one of our guides at Glenfiddich that heads that up. And we had a charity auction on the opening night of Spirit of Speyside, which I uh, was the auction master. Auction, is that what it's called, the auction master? I don't master? know, what is it called? I think you just made that shit up, man. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it does. From now on, it shall always be known as the auction master. I think it's an auction. It's an auction. Yeah, yeah, That's an engineer. Uh, <laughs> the, the engine master. <laughs> That'll be the engineer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the problem is, with most auctions, you're given bottles that you kind of know a value of. You hope that the room yeah. will, you know, give the true value. But four of the bottles that I were given were literally hen's teeth. Never been released, signed by chairman of the family, bottled by them. You know, Brian Kinsman gave a bottle in which was gifted to him a few years ago, a single cask, one of one with Brian Kinsman's name, our malt master. And actually the highest bid on that was £3,100. And at the end, as we were taking funds from the winning bidders, the gentleman came over and paid his money and handed the bottle straight back and said, I'd like this to go back into auction 
for Brian. So we now Very have this cool. perpetual bottle, which hopefully will just hang around the ether of auctions, yeah. creating money. So we raised um, 11,000 on the night out of the four or five bottles, uh, which WGS, William Grant and Sons, matched. So we handed a check for 22,000 over to Murray School Bank, which is a lot of pairs Very of cool. shoes. Woo! Very nice. I think that deserves yeah. that. And what about you, Daz? What have you been up to? Nothing charitable, <laughs> I'd imagine. No, nothing, nothing like that. No, sadly, <laughs> I didn't do anything good. No, I went, I went to Dalmore. Uh, I was up there seeing a couple of guys, and then I went to Bal Blair Distillery. Met John McDonald up there, and that's a distillery I love. Mm. Very old school distillery. You know, I think you 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 mentioned Glenfiddich, and I was I was actually supposed to be there on the Wednesday night, but I had bigger fish to fry, of course. <laughs> um, and you know, when you see these distilleries that are so well visited, that are, you know, very well run and things, they've had huge investment. They're so neat now. You know what I mean? They're so tidy and pristine. Bal Blair was like walking back in time a little bit. I quite liked it. It's like a little old submarine in there. Do you know what I mean? Little, little valves everywhere. Everything's squeezed in and shoehorned in. And I quite enjoyed it. It was very, very, cool. very cool. Yeah, but other than that, yeah, nothing as wholesome as you guys, sadly. Wholesome. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. You guys getting thirsty? Yeah. yeah. Seems right. sensible, right? So, Mark, let's let's start with these Glenfiddichs. And uh, what when you're going to start everyone off? And it's a bit of a fucked up order, isn't it? It really is a bit of a, a messed up order. Have you done uh, this before? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things, you know, when as an ambassador, certainly I've been with Glenfiddich nearly 10 years doing tastings. And you're always trying to do something interesting. You don't just want to bring the same stuff. And certainly knowing the room, you guys will have had many of the Glenfiddichs that I would have brought anyway. So... We have a new release, which we'll come to last, and I've completely flipped what would be a typical order of a whiskey tasting. And the reason I've done it is because I've gone back into Glenfiddich's history, and I spoke to Brian Kinsman, and I said, I've got this tasting coming up. There's a lot of big cheeses in the room. I'd like to do something a little bit different, but keep it fun as well. So actually, the first dram we're going to have, we're moving left to right. This is a, a 2005. It's a 17-year-old uh, refill peated sherry puncheon. Now, the reason we've started with not only a European oak cask, but also a peated cask is because this is as close to the whiskey that I believe, and Brian believes with me, that William Grant would recognise as what he distilled in 1887. We look back, he used to be a bookkeeper, and we look back at the, the books, and the casks he was using at that time were port pipes and Madeira puncheons and broken down casks and anything he could get his hands on, but it was mostly either European oak or sherry wood, sherry influenced wood or wine influenced wood. And also we repeated, we were smoking until about 1930. Now, one of the things I don't know, and Brian can't confirm either, is how peaty we were. Mm. Because obviously there's a big amount of control. We're tiny stills at Glenfiddich, four and a half thousand litres. So you could control quite an easy run off that still and leave most of the peat behind, or at least the heavier weight peat behind. So Brian gave me this sample because I told him exactly what I wanted to do. And he said, oh, that's a good one. No one's ever asked for that before, which as an ambassador for Glenfiddich, that's a pretty cool thing when Brian goes, that's a new thing. That's an interesting way. But what I wanted to do is go through a, a basically a, a, the, where Glenfiddich began a massive turning point in its history, and then to today. So we're, we're, we're literally fast-forwarding in a little time machine. I find this really interesting. This is cast strength. It's a single cask at 56.2%, 17 years old. 
And just to explain to everyone listening, this has got a nice white label on it, which is the one you always want to go for. Yeah, it's the most basic <laughs> bottle. Normally it comes with a screw cap. It's quite fancy. It's got a cork. It's normally yeah, just yeah, like yeah. a little red Grant's screw cap yeah, on yeah. it, which are the, the, you know, that's when you know you're getting the good shit. Um, but, you know, one of the things we, we talk about so often, we have at Glenfiddich done peated whiskies in the past. Some of you may know things like Coran Reserve and 125 Anniversary. These are Isla cask finishes. We, we, we took standard Glenfiddichs and finished them. At one point, we had more casks of Laphroaig sitting at Glenfiddich than were sitting at Laphroaig <laughs> because we did such a huge trade swap years back. Years back, we're talking sort of mid-70s. And... When we released these peated whiskies, you could always tell there was an Isla influence, that iodine medicinal note came from it. When you note this, this is peak from the Cabrach, this is the Black Isle, this is within about a 30 mile radius of the Glenfiddich distillery. And it has that familiarity, that sort of sweeter barbecue note to it, mm. rather than that coastal iodine note you may pick up from Isla. Most of Speyside, as we know it, would have been like this. This is a... This is a not traditional, we could go back a bit further and be more traditional, but I just find it really fascinating. We started bringing malted barley back into Glenfiddich in around about 2000 and running it through process. Uh, so we've started to relay down casks of what we would call peated Glenfiddich rather than finished in anything else. So enjoy. Cheers. I, yeah, cheers. Yeah, cheers. Yeah. cheers. Yeah, I think cheers it's interesting. I mean, cheers. I think there's a good conversation to be had uh, with regards to terroir and peat, right? Because for me, it's definitely more of that bonfire as opposed to medicinal note coming through. Um, I, I really like this one. I remember Brian giving me one once to go to the Cinderella cruise on, and it was like creosote. It didn't work for me, but this mm. one works a lot better. It's a lot more subtle. I think we've done lots of our first fills as well, and they've become a bit more intense. And the strange thing with Glenfiddich, it's such a light and sort of, fruity, light, fruity, floral um, new make, when you start to introduce European oak in first fill form, it just smashes it apart. Mm. It's really difficult. But actually here, with that refill, you're starting to get a softness back in there. You can actually, well, I can. I can smell Glenfiddich underneath this. It's in a different jacket and coat, but it's dressed slightly differently. But for me, I think it's a really nicely balanced example. Fire and cane that we've got, follows suit to this mm. but this is a much older cask weirdly though William wouldn't have anything this old in his warehouses the first casks he sold were six months old but Brian was not forgiving me a six month old cask again <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sample just to see yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the first one ever sold to the doctor in Balvenie Street a full uh, sherry butt of um, six month old Glenfiddich that's the very first sale to ever go through the books at Glenfiddich. What do you guys think of that one? Yeah, very different, isn't it? That's the thing I love about Scotch whiskey. Like if someone put that in front of me and said, right, what is that? I'd be hard pushed to say it was Glenfiddich even after working for him for 10 years. Yeah. That's because you weren't very good at your job. Yeah. Again, kind of teed that one up. Mitch has got a big toe for her nose. <laughs> Could have said something else, of course. <laughs> uh, no one would believe you. <laughs> right, fucking calm down, you two. Mm, sorry, man. <laughs> das Mitch's whiskey news of the week. So, Spirit of Space Side, there was a, a big announcement. Expansions. 
In fact, there was three big distillery expansions announced this week, PR-wise. You know, there was press releases went out. I'm sure there's a few more as well. Dalmore, Milton Duff, and Aberlour. Three distilleries all expanding, and that'll be close to doubling capacity at most of those distilleries, I would imagine. So no signs of that slowing down. You know, when we thought that new distilleries opening was, was a thing that was going to start dying off, it's also the expansion of distilleries that are already operating as well. And they're not small distilleries, you know? Yeah. No. And then we've got, when I was up there, I was chatting to my friend Alan Winchester for a little bit just before the, the opening dinner and before he jumped up and did his auction. And uh, he didn't tell me this at the time, but he's taken over as director from the Cabrick distillery. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be like a, this really sort of museum style distillery up in the Cabrick. They're going to kind of look at how distilling was done back in the day up there. Uh, so, which kind of makes sense for Alan because he's really into that whole illicit distilling thing. He was doing a lot uh, with, uh, with with that up at Glenlivet when he was up there, mm -hmm. uh, and kind of close to to you as well with uh, Wayne Grant and Sons because I know the family's very involved in that, the, that distillery yeah, as well. Right, the family are funding quite a lot of that. I think yeah. it was a discovery of a hidden distillery in a a sort of hillock, it looked like a hill. And when the excavate the farmer excavated it, they actually discovered that it was a false hill with this, you know, 1600s distilling equipment sitting in the back, and that's what spurred it on. Mm. And a few of the distillers around that area, realising how important it obviously is, have, have jumped on board. And yeah. you know, So hopefully in the next few years, that is a, a big thing. You know, tourists have kind of forgotten about the Cabrac, but it's vitally important in that area. And that's well. a massive name to get on board with Alan Winchester. I mean, that's, you know, absolute legend within the yeah. industry, right? Yeah. Glenn Fiddick, doing more good stuff for the world? Yeah, it, th this week, in fact, yesterday, it just um, ceased the auction. We released during Speyside. Anyone get a bottle? Festival. Did anyone get uh, one? I, I was, I should no. have got one, but I didn't. Did you lose out? I lost out. Did you? Yeah, oh, 20, how much? 20 quid. <laughs> I know. Mate, I know. you would have expensed that as well. No, What's I, wrong no, with you? I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I know. Um, the Cooper's. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> the Expenses toothpaste, man. Have <laughs> <laughs> you seen these? I've seen it. <laughs> you can't fucking miss them. <laughs> it's a lot of toothpaste. <laughs> um, Cooper's cask. Yeah, it was a bottle we did uh, as a special release for the Speyside Festival. And again, following on, the, on to, you know, fundraising as wherever we can. Uh, it was for the DC uh, Ukrainian Appeal. And it was actually casks that are... Head Cooper at the time, he's now retired, Ian McDonald. He put down in about 2009, he was just playing around, breaking casks up and rebuilding them with different staves. So he actually had uh, first filled bourbon oak, uh, refilled bourbon oak, and virgin oak. And he built two casks out of the three, basically um, bro broke them down to hoggies and built three, uh, two casks out of it. Didn't really tell anyone, filled them, stuck them into the warehousing. And we took these. He actually thinks there was some port pipe that he shaved down in there as well, but we can't confirm in there. So when we released the Cooper's cask bottle, uh, it was a release just done from the spirit from these 2009 casks. Uh, we put 460 from memory to auction at Whiskey Auctioneer, and I've just had the figure in there. It closed last night, uh, £150,000 raised, which will match. So that's a £300,000 donation to the Ukrainian wow. appeal that we'll put in there. Bottle number one, from memory, went for five thousand and sixty pounds. I think bottle number two was around about two grand. Um, it just shows you same liquid, different number Very on cool. the bottle. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, that's uh, good. Uh, another another great thing that we've done there, just as a 
away. You know, we've got the liquid. It's not it's precious to us, obviously, but we've nearly two million casks of whiskey resting at Glenfiddich and Balvenie. So, when things like this come up, the family feel important to be involved with. This is you know, a great opportunity for us. Brilliant, man. So that's the news for the week. Anyone else? Has anyone got any whiskey news that we missed? Woven's second release. Woven's second release. Ah, and Woven's nice. in the house yes, right there as well. Yes, absolutely. So Pete, tell us about that. No, I don't. Nah, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Do you bring samples? <laughs> yeah, he did, yeah. Sample? Jingling pockets. <laughs> Mark, should we get on to dram number two? Yes. Let's do it. Yeah, so... Again, going back as an ambassador, I, you know, I, I used to always carry around um, bottles that people might not have had before or realise the importance of. And dram number two, the palest of the three, uh, is actually a 1990s Glenfiddich, which we opened this evening. So it's been part of my collection for quite some time. Uh, I think I bought this new, actually, if I remember rightly. Yeah, yeah. £2.71. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I'm a big fan of these older Glenfiddichs. I had an opportunity a while back because I was talking about bottle conditioning and the fact that you can probably immediately identify a whiskey which has sat in glass for quite a number of years. It has this kind of warehousey, weird, musty earthiness to it. And I love it. It's a funk, which is great. But it's a funk that I also know isn't in there because... Very, very fortunate to work with people like David Stewart and Brian Kinsman. David's been with us for over 60 years. And I wanted to introduce something to him and have this conversation about bottle conditioning. And I took a bottle of 1970s Glenfiddich in. And he picked up the glass after we'd opened the bottle and he put it to his nose and he went, Aye, well, it didn't smell like that when I put it in the glass in 1970. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a great source to, of resource uh, to have. Yeah. To have that person that actually put not only every drop of Balvenie that anyone's ever touched in glass in the world into the bottles, but the Glenfiddichs from 1960s onwards. Um, so this is a really weird one. It's just prior to us standardising our 12-year-old. And we put the number 12 on a bottle in the year 2000. First time we put an age statement on it. It had, in the 70s, something called over eight-year-old, but we very quickly took it off. And even the word single malt, I don't think appears in this particular bottle. It it's might. pure malt, isn't it? It's pure malt. Mm. Oh, no, single malt is here. It's added in. And this was an addition to these labels in about the 1980s. So even the term single malt isn't something that was ubiquitous around this time. So it's kind of a pillar for us because the green triangular bottle, everyone thinks they know but it has had different incarnations over its lifetime. So this was a bit of fun. It was just something I thought, you know what, it's a, it's a rarity to try something of that kind of age. And it's still a really fresh dram. Mm. It's still, yeah. it's bags, like, bags of fruit. It's like hay. Like yeah, a, that's a that kind of funky. Like, it's, like yeah, it's, yeah. it's like it's, for me, it's, a, it's kind of soft fruits, like um, strawberries that are just starting to go too soft to eat, but they're still in the punnet. They've still got the hay protecting them. It's got that kind of vegetal note to it. And I love this, these kind of whiskies. Well, it makes me think, no wonder, you know, you go back to the 80s and think about the popularity of whiskey. Okay, we had a little bit of a slump around the 70s, but whiskies like this, how light and approachable they were. Yeah. And just easy drinking. There was no, yes, you could go across to the islands and you'd start to get someone a bit more robust. And if you went to blend, you'd mostly be dealing with an amalgamation predominantly of European oak and a bit of peat or smokiness but these this is kind of what we think of as a classic space cider yeah 
light and fruity and delicate. But it's actually really, if we look at where we came from to where we are now, it's a snapshot of what we think space cider whiskey should be. Yeah. Uh, and every distillery that we speak to and talk about older expressions, they'll, they'll, they'll have a point in their history like this, but they'll also have a point in their history like the first dram as well. Mm. So it's just a great conversation starter at two o'clock in the morning in a pub in Speyside. <laughs> I'll tell you something but it's, else. It's whiskey, yeah, yeah, but it is. It's whiskies like this that make you really appreciate why whiskey became popular. Single malts became popular internationally. You know, because that, that's a, it's a crowd pleaser, right? It's got tons of vanilla. Juice. You know, it's got malty softness, loads of orchard fruits, no spice, no stringency. You know, it's, it's not wildly complex and that's a positive mm. thing. You don't yeah. have to sit there and overthink it. And that's one of the things I love about classic lymphidic is it's solid. It's always good. Do you know what I mean? And I, I'm not often distracted by new versions of Glenfiddich for that reason, because I love the 12 and I think it's, I, I do find it difficult to see past it sometimes, you know? So let's talk about the, the current 12, which is 85, 90% ex-bourbon and then yeah. a little bit of sherry added in. Yeah. Do the family have the recipe still for what this was? So I spoke to David Stewart about this and it, we could find it, but the thing in that late 70s period, moving into the 80s and 90s, you were reusing European oak quite a lot. Mm. You're still getting a bit of flavour out of them, but no colour. So although this is as pale as it is, there will still be the use of refill European oak casks or sherry casks, along with other bits and pieces. It was more about the consistency of the flavour. You wanted to make sure that that's exactly what someone was getting. And at that time, you didn't have the cask management. We may have, but it wasn't ubiquitous in the industry that you had the cask management that we see today in distilleries where wood management is coming out um, to the nth degree and you're controlling that spirit from... Bearing in mind as well, you're not... You know, you're dealing with a lot of... Even maltings that we would take our malt to at this time, probably not as highly regulated as they are today mm. in terms of hygiene and loads of little things fluctuating around your production, which makes it really difficult to make a high volume product such as this consistent. Even the bottles, I've got loads of these at home and I can line them all up and every label is different. Every closure is different. This, where the labels hit the bottle is slightly different. You think to yourself, is this one a fake? I've opened loads that I thought were fake and they've been just as good. Might still have been a fake, but they've actually <laughs> yeah, managed yeah, to yeah, nail it really yeah, well. Totally. When, you, when you went to the hospital the next day, you know, <laughs> yeah, maybe that was yeah, a fake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's interesting, man, which leads us really nicely, nicely onto the next section of the podcast. Now it's time for some interesting whiskey facts that definitely won't get you any new friends on a Friday or Saturday night while standing in a bar. Might work on a Monday or Tuesday, though. There must be a few things about Glenfiddich we don't know. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of things. We've just expanded, uh, keeping it into the news. Has um, anyone been to the new stillhouse at Glenfiddich yet? Yeah, Mo has been, yeah. Yeah, uh, Christopher's been. Yeah, nice, nice. The new stillhouse yeah. is fantastic. I mean, we've added another 28 stills from memory. I, that might be wrong. Don't quote me on that. Oh, I've been recorded. You're, you're being quoted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the whole point in this thing, Mark. Sorry, I would explain that. <laughs> there's, there's two interesting things. From one of them, the, the new stillhouse is L-shaped, and most guests will only see the first section. I think those that have said they saw the back part, they were there at the Speyside Festival. So as you turn to the left and see another row of stills, they're uniform and equal in number, but actually the very last still on the right-hand side is non-functional and it was put in purely for aesthetics. 
because we run, we don't quite run one wash on two stills. And we worked out the math and we got to one shy of spirit still and the wash and Brian Kinsman came in and looked at it and went, nah. So we built another still, which, which just keeps everything nice and linear. And for me, as someone who's quite OCD, I really applaud that. And it's good, good for Instagram pictures. The, in, the interesting thing is this, it's a slightly different color because it's not running. So it's not getting the heat yeah. through the copper. Yeah, no, no, we, we, no, it's not painted steel. It's not painted steel. Aluminium. Yeah. Even cheaper. I'm sure it is, but Forsyth still charge the same, same amount of money. And the other thing that is pertaining to that, as we expanded and, and drew still, which is still house number three, although we've taken still house number one away, so that's really confusing for me. Still house number one, as we decommissioned it, we moved each pair of stills and uh, and wash across to the new still house and then got those up and running before taking the next ones out of it. So we didn't just shut a still house down. But as that was being done, I'd noticed for a number of years that the furnaces were still there, uh, the coal furnaces underneath these because we're direct fired on still house one. And the doors seemed a little bit out of place. They seemed a little bit kind of shoved in there and they had big M's on the front of them. And I said, why, why do these look a bit out of place? They said, oh, well, when McCallan went to steam and coil, we were still on furnace. So we took all the furnace doors off them and retrofitted them into Glenfiddich. So actually for a number of years, you never ever saw this still house and you can't now because it's demolished. So everything I'm saying is true. Um, <laughs> All the doors to the front of the furnaces are all actually McAllen doors because there were surplus to requirements for that distillery across the valley and we took them and retrofitted them at Glenfiddich. And the last thing, if you ever have been to Glenfiddich, one thing you probably won't, you'll see the cooling pond out the front, which is big enough to paddle and board on. Mitch, we mm. need to do that one day. Yeah, yeah. I'm off that. Um, we had, a, we had a group, a stag group, as I'm sure anyone that's been to distillery, they see that group going around that are just there for the drams and a bit of a laugh. And this young group of guys had, it was a beautiful day like today, and they'd walked back up to the car park, past the cooling pond, and it sits very, very still, of course. And it's about a metre deep. So they decided to go for a swim, not before taking all their clothes off in the car park and running back down to the cooling pond. And beknown to them, as they jumped into the cooling pond, although it's only about a metre deep, the silt below is a lot deeper. So they got stuck from the knees in, completely naked, all four of them, like an Anthony Gormley in the middle of Glenfiddich cooling pond, as at that time it was a free tour. So you had coach loads of people just going past with their cameras, <laughs> just taking photographs of these guys. Things the guides probably don't tell you at Glenfiddich. Beautiful, man. Some good good facts there. Good like facts. That. Interesting yeah. stories. Um, we have one more whiskey to try, Mr. Thompson. We do. And talking about facts, I've got very few about this one. <laughs> uh, you haven't found out about this yet at all, have you? So let me tell you about Glenfiddich, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, this, was, this was touch and go a little bit on this one being released in time. And it's, it's, it's literally 24 hours into the market. Um, it, it's called, it's one of the new experimental series. It's Glenfiddich number five experiment. It's called Orchard. And I, it's so new, I had to buy these out of a supermarket today. It is, it is an amalgamation, as we do with experimental series, between two collaborators, Glenfiddich, and in this case, the Temperley family, who are down in Somerset, who make a Somerset cider liqueur. 
and we took some of their casks. It's, it's been over conversation for a number of years. <laughs> so we've got the casks from them and we've worked for a couple of years with them now, um, looking at different ways that it affects. Uh, the interesting thing is that if it was a brandy, there's a completely different reaction with whiskey to, because it's a higher ABV in the cask. When you drop down the ABV and increase the sugars, you start to get a different interaction. And Brian's a big fan of wine casks for that exact reason, where you've got a slightly higher sugar, lower acidity, um, tannins coming in there, and less alcohol, which interacts with the oak. So it's not stripping out as much as you'd normally expect from a previous alcoholic or spirit content. So you guys are, unless you shop in a couple of local supermarkets, you guys will be the first people to actually try this. Um, so I'm really keen. I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, but did the, the company not do like a, a press release by mistake that they were working with Glenfiddich a while ago on this? Yeah. And they got in trouble for it? I don't know if they got in trouble. But Glenfiddich weren't too happy about it. <laughs> Was that the same company? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, I we... love this. This is, this is like, um, I'm going to go back to my kind of time in America here. It's like Jolly Ranchers, like Apple Jolly Ranchers in this. Mm. So this is at 43% ABV. Uh, it literally hit shelves yesterday. Press release is coming out soon for those of you that need a press release. This is available. Uh, it's more of a grocery play. It will come into on trade. Just a, it, we had so many problems. Um, not just the production. How long were they Four months, three to four months, like most things we do. Balvenie always extends longer. It's just a finish in the cask, yeah. Three to four months. So does anyone have any questions? Whether that be what style of underpants that Daz is wearing tonight? And, well, first of all, I think it's genuinely, like, yummy. I think that's a good barometer. Like, it? <laughs> 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 I think it's genuinely really yummy. I, was just, I wanted to know a bit, like, the... It's in an apple brandy cask for what, four months? How did, what, what, I'm going to be geeky, but what was it before? And what, what, it, it's, it's got loads of that apple flavour. Is that, is that, mm. did you try and make the whiskey to complement the, the finishing cask? Or did you try and just shove a great whiskey into that and hope for the best? What was the, what was the process? Loads of good questions there, isn't there? Sorry. Let me see if I can get Brian on the phone. <laughs> um, okay, so the best of my knowledge, and I'll use this as a very sort of sweeping statement, when we approach anything such as experimental seas, the final ending up of whiskey, the incartation that we create, is typically a two to three year process. And in that, we will have tried many different styles. So our IPA, which was the first one, you know, our, our India Pale Ale cask finish, I know that there was six different beers tried there. We tried smoky whiskies. We tried European oak matured whiskies. We tried them at different ages until there was a sort of sweet spot found. So I think with anything we do, there's two really important things that we want to do. We want to try and always have a base spirit which is identifiably Glenfiddich. And then on top of that, see how far you can actually push the flavour profile of it. So whilst, yeah, that is really appley and IPA is really hoppy, there's still an underlying Glenfiddich. If it starts to get too far, it, that experiment draws to a close and they start again. Now that doesn't fully answer all your questions because I don't have every detail of how it was created. 
But the previous content, I, I think they're quite small casks. I don't think they're full 250 litres. I think they're down at maybe 50 to 75s from memory. I think the experiment actually came out because we did try to use a cider cask. This is the thing with experimentation. We got into trouble for a uh, winter storm because the SWE went, there's no provenance to say ice wine casks were ever used to mature scotch. And they went, there's no rule to say wine, wine casks. And it's a wine cask. And they went, damn it. So they start to tighten the rules again. But if you've pushed that rule already, it's very difficult for them to revoke that. And it's a family business. I think that's the really important thing. The drive comes behind the family saying, this is important for the category of whiskey, not just this is important for business. Yeah. There are many trains that happen in the experiments where... <laughs> <laughs> There's many trains we've, we've seen happen in the experimental world of whiskies, and we've sat back or we've spoken to Brian and said, should we do this? And he's like, oh, we've done this. We did this seven years ago. It's not really... I remember it. him saying that about tequila casks. Yeah. When it's not, the SWA really, group came out. He's like, ah, I've been doing that for years. It doesn't really work with like Glenfiddich, so yeah. there's no point in us chasing that. We could yeah. do it because we've got casks sitting there, but it's you should taste it. I once had a dinner with him and I said to him, you ever done any fish casks? And he's like, yep. How was it? Terrible. And then he said, probably the wrong type of fish we used it. <laughs> and that's, wow. that's the key for when you go, just because it didn't work there doesn't mean you stop. I mean, it's definitely a world away from the other experimentals that have happened. I don't suppose we'd want to do anything that just fell into the vanilla of what we normally do. You know, if you're going to do something, do it. Yeah. Try it. Be a little bit daring. You know, I, I speak to lots of people about Glenfiddich IPA cask, and some people go, I just didn't get it. I don't, it's not my thing. It's not my jam. I, I'm, I really don't like it. And I'm like, cool, that's fine. Oh, but I do like the 15-year-old, and I love the Project 20. And I like Fire and Cane. Yeah, cool. The difference now I think we see with the whiskey category and the whiskey world and whiskey consumers, I've been doing this long enough, so have you, Jamie, to know that when you stood at stands, people would walk past and go, Glenfiddich, I don't like it. Oh, which ones have you tried? The green one. Well, well, well done. <laughs> well done. We've got something like 42 different whiskies on the market just now, but you decided to stop at that one expression. Whiskey companies now produce such a breadth and depth of character and style from one distillery that you want consumers to go, oh, well, okay, I didn't quite like that, but I'll try this one. Oh, that's my bag. I like that. That's really different. And until we all get into that kind of groove of going, look, whiskey is about flavor. You might not like all of them, but you might like some of them. But continue to try and experiment and see which ones you get your groove on. And your cabinet may suddenly be filled with a load of brands you didn't realize you actually would like, but flavors that you get and understand. So each time we do an experiment, we know there's going to be a number of people that go, yeah, that's not for me. I don't know why you've even done that. Yeah, cool. Because at the same time, there's loads of folk going, that's great. And that's why we do it. Good. 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 I'm glad you enjoyed it. That was a, a really interesting and maybe risky way of doing things. Start with a sherry cask, peated mm. whiskey, and then end up with potentially what would be the lightest. But I think the middle one actually yeah. benchmarked. And I think you're, this is a very sweet comparatively to the, the other two whiskies. It's a, it's a nice one to finish on. It feels a little bit more like a pudding whiskey, you know, in a, in a nice way. Not too rich, too heavy. 
a wee rice pudding. There we go. A lovely, a very posh rice pudding, you know. For the tourists over there. <laughs> Alright Mark, well it's, it was an absolute pleasure as always, uh, thank you for all the liquid, thank you for being on the show, thank you to everyone in the room, you guys had a good time? Woo! Yes! Alright, our next episode, of course everyone's going to be listening to that, Mike McGinty from Royal Brackla is going to be taking us through a distillery that most people don't know that much about. But a beautiful old distillery, uh, really interesting whiskey, is a big influence on Sherry Cast, very different flavour-wise to what we've tried today. Uh, heavier, spicier, you know, away from these kind of light, easy-going orchard fruits. So looking forward to that one, Mitch. Looking forward to that. Absolutely. What's happening after Absolutely. that? What's happening after that? That's yeah. the next episode, mate. I don't know what's happening after you don't that. Know. All right, no, okay. That's we're, not, we're not that old. Give me a schedule, guy. <laughs> Mark, we might have to get you back home. <laughs> There'll be another experiment no. out There'll be another one. <laughs> Totally. No, brilliant. Well, guys, thank you all for coming along. Guys, thank you for listening so much. Uh, remember to sign up to our website, notanotherwhiskeypodcast.com, for a chance to be part of the next live audience, because I think we're going to do this again, right? You guys yeah. you guys think we should do this again, yeah, or no? Yeah. Uh, well, that's it. You're a lifer now, so yeah, right. <laughs> you're stuck with us. Um, but, <laughs> get Season ticket. Thank you so much for listening, and may all your drams be as smooth as Mark Thompson's chat. Oh, <laughs> that's nice. Thank you, guys. Well done. We're